In the context of the third season of Netflix's Daredevil, we explore the effects of abandonment on children, the account of Job, the right and wrong ways to listen for God's voice, and how humans can't see the beautiful tapestry of God's plan. Are you just watching episode 86, Daredevil, season 3? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And, well, I, I'm going to go all fangirl because I am like a <laughs> massive Daredevil fan. And I have been waiting just nothing else satisfies until Daredevil season three came out. And then I was like working like super hard and long hours at work and I couldn't not um binge it until i got home from work on friday which was so painful so painful to wait you know an entire day lose an entire day of binge hours <laughs> i was too tired to stay up and started at four two in the morning or whenever it was that it oh, no. was released <laughs> but anyway i have binged it and tim has binged it and indeed i have <laughs> and it is only a week we're recording this a week after it was released and hopefully we will have this episode up in a couple days so this will be pretty fresh and for those of you who haven't binged it yet i strongly suggest that you just go ahead and and wait to listen to this episode because we probably will spoil quite a bit of it just yeah and just saying and binging it does take quite a bit of time well, it's about it's, 13 uh, hours yeah uh, yeah, it's 13 episodes at roughly 45, 50 minutes an episode. Some of them are an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're all, I, I'm not really a binger by nature. It's, I think the only other show that I watched so close together was uh, Travelers. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I usually like to, to watch one a day or. <laughs> I can't do that with Daredevil. There's no way. When I, when I, initially subscribed to Netflix seasons one and two were already out and <laughs> so I binged both seasons in like a week I think wow yeah it was it was I just couldn't stop once I started of course Daredevil has always been one of my favorite characters and the Netflix presentation of him is so well done I I have to agree with you there yeah. I'm I'm not a huge uh Daredevil fan in particular uh I I think back in my early late teens early 20s i read the comic book for a little while mm -hmm. but I, I gotta say uh the way they present him and and uh charlie cox mm -hmm. uh plays the character just makes it feel so um natural yeah to me yeah well, Charlie Cox has become my new favorite actor since seeing him in this. And I didn't know anything about him prior to Daredevil, but I started like uh, media stalking him after <laughs> I, uh, I mean, it's just, I, mean, I sometimes just Google search Car Charlie Cox to see if there's any new interviews with him or whatever. And just totally fascinated with the way uh, he plays a blind character who can see and <laughs> Um, and a lot of the the mannerisms and the way he plays the character were all him. He he was given, you know, the the rough script sketch of the character and he fleshed it out. And he actually got together with his um, stunt and fight double and they worked out together so that they would consistently play the character, how he would 
move when he's fighting and how he would move when he's hurt and all these various things that they hashed out together so that they would consistently play the character so that regardless of who's in the costume, you, you would get the feel that it was Matt Murdock or Daredevil. And That's cool. Yeah, I, I just think the amount of time that he put into fleshing the character out and and all of the work he did learning how, how blind people do things. And then even some of the scenes in the previous seasons where like he catches things without looking at them or he reaches out and picks things up. Those were all him. Those were him going, you know, we need to put more scenes in here where it looks like that he sees in 360 without using mm -hmm. his eyes. And, and some of those took a lot of takes to do because, you know, Charlie Cox actually can't see 360. So I, I seem to remember you and I discussing before, he put a lot of work into learning to be, to appear blind, didn't mm -hmm. he? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he's actually gotten accolades from the American Blind Association for his portrayal of a blind person, even though he is portraying a blind person who can actually see. See, it's kind of weird. Um, He's a seeing person playing a blind person who can actually see. Yeah. <laughs> okay then. Yeah, who can see without using his eyes, uh, and which brings me to a, a, one of the first fangirl. We'll we'll hit the pros and cons, you know, right <laughs> off the bat because one of the things that disappointed me so much about going from season two into the Defenders was that season two had left us with the scene of. Matt Murdock coming to Karen Page with his mask to let her know that he was Daredevil, which they've gone through two seasons without her knowing. Foggy knew like almost from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And we didn't get to see what her reaction was. And that just completely bugged me that we went straight to in Defenders, her being annoyed with him and obviously having, you know, when we discussed this, when we talked about the Defenders, how it appeared that Foggy and Karen had put some, you know, walls into the relationship. Like, you can't mm -hmm. be daredevil, you can't do this stuff, or we won't be your friend anymore, kind of thing. And, but we missed that conversation. And so I was really, really, really hoping that they would do it as a flashback. And thankfully they did <laughs> right <laughs> in the first episode. So that, that relieved me so much. It's like, yes, we knew how that went. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The other thing that was built up in the first two seasons that we never got to see resolved was the backstory for Karen. Uh, they kept oh, hinting at wow. it. They kept hinting at it, but they never told you what it was. And so we got an entire episode, almost an entire episode dedicated to her backstory in season three, which was fabulous. Finally get to flesh out her character. It was rather shocking for those of us who weren't familiar with the source material. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, they actually introduced a couple mainstay characters uh, from the comic books in season three that they waited all the way to season three to get to. One of them, though never referred to by name in season three, was uh, definitely a hallmark of Daredevil. He's He's typically the villain that is most known from most of the comic book series mm. with Daredevil in it, and that is... Um, bullseye yep. and he doesn't go by that name it's almost like his origin story in season three yeah his his symbol does show up on at least two occasions that i can think of yes yes it does but it's not something that they draw a ton of attention to hey speaking of which in the ben affleck movie mm -hmm. uh 
not Colin Firth, uh, another Irish name, the guy who played Dar- uh, Bullseye in that. Didn't he have it branded on his forehead? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Just making sure I'm not uh, imagining that. <laughs> yes, it was. It was like a. Um embossed in his forehead kind of thing i don't know whether it was a brand or what sort of like the guauld in uh, stargate yeah um there were a lot of carryovers from the movie actually uh i guess scene wise more than anything the Uh, movie is not considered even one i picked up which is pretty significant if i picked it up yeah uh but yeah daredevil's introduced the other character is uh sister maggie and we we kind of were teased that she was going to be in because her name was mentioned at the end of in that final teaser scene in Defenders. You know, go get Sister Maggie. He's waking up. Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. So that 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 scene at the end of Defenders was taken straight out of a, an entire page illustration of the uh, Daredevil Born Again uh, series by Miller, Frank Miller. Now, is Sister Maggie, is she from the source material as well then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And the and Sister Maggie from the source material has always been Matt Murdock's mother. And so those of us who have read the comic books were not at all <laughs> surprised by that reveal. Uh, and in the, in the Born Again, he actually figures it out himself. He doesn't overhear her say it. Um, he asks her straight out because her smell is too similar to his. Ah, uh, that's a good way to do it. I like that. Yeah, so he, he kept going, her odor is so close to mine. And then he just straight out asked her, are you my mother? And she lies and says, no, of course not. But he hears her heartbeat. And so he knows she's lying. No, she's lying. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, it's one of those things that it's always been in there. That that, But in this one, I I thought it was very interesting that she... Uh, revealed it by praying and perhaps not realizing that his hearing had gotten well and good enough that he could hear her and that he was listening because he doesn't always hear everything. He has to actually be listening to hear it. Yeah. But yeah, he that always was... hears the stuff the director wants him to hear. Yeah, exactly. He's not omniscient. He's, he's just, uh, he has to target his hearing. So he had to have been actually purposely listening in, which, mm-hmm. you know, that will come up later in our discussion because there's there's something about listening in on prayers that I want to talk about later. So overall, the biggest pro to me in season three was the character development. We got mm. to see Karen fleshed out. We got to see more of Foggy's family life, which in the previous two seasons, we never even saw where he lived. He just was always yeah. in on the street or in their offices or visiting Matthew at his lone loft apartment so i i don't remember any indication that foggy had a family other than uh, him talking about his family business or anything like that he talked about his mother yeah he talked about his mother wanting him to be to go and uh, open a deli shop or something like that so okay the deli shop was mentioned um that they didn't want him to be a lawyer and then uh and then wait a minute isn't it sausage and law neither one of them you want to know how it's made Uh, and then the other character, obviously, was uh, Dex and also the the FBI agent. Um, well, the, Dex was an FBI agent, but you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, and then... Ray. Ray, yeah. Yep. There was so much time spent making these real people. 
so that as you follow their stories, you really cared about them. Um, yeah. Not sure I really cared about Dex, but you know what I mean? It's You know, it, I've, I really, um, I sympathized with him. Yeah. I mean, they, they did such a good job uh, showing his, how everything affected him. And, and you knew going in, they made it clear going in that he is a psychopath. Right. Uh, from the, from the moment he threw the baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you knew that this kid was <laughs> had serious issues. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and you know that the you know brings up the question of can you housebreak a sociopath? You know, or socialize yeah. a sociopath? Um, according to Daredevil season three, no. <laughs> you can make it look good, but yeah, uh, <laughs> let's put a lipstick on a pig. Yeah. So I, that covers two of my pros. I like the character development. I really appreciated the flashback stories. The flashback story on Dex was very well done because you got to see it as if Fisk was was watching it like it was happening in front of him, which yeah. I don't know whether that reveals, you know, like a superpower on Fisk's part, part to be able to go through files and actually experience the story behind them. Um, I thought that, that was... That's not consistent with his uh, comic book presentation, though, right? I don't know. I, I I don't recall that ever being something that he could do, but maybe somebody more well-read than I am. I mean, I have read quite a few Daredevil co- uh, co- graphic mm-hmm. novels, mainly just in the last year or two while I was waiting on season three because I was like... <laughs> getting your fix in? I was getting my fix in, yeah. <laughs> my problem was is that I'd rewatched seasons one and two so many times they were... I was memorizing them, and so I wanted some hmm. new material. Um, I know Daredevil, or uh, rather Kingpin, shows up quite a bit in mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man as well. Yeah. Um, and I actually, it's, I'm, uh, I just started replaying the Spider-Man PS4 game, and, mm. and Kingpin is a major, major part of that. Which but... is interesting, because he's never been in any of the movies. No, but... no. Uh, wasn't he in the very first one? The Tobey Maguire? No, maybe not. No, I don't think so. Yeah, but it, that's actually one of my pros, and I know it's one that I mentioned before. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is one of my favorite actors. Um, everything from Men in Black to Criminal Intent. Uh, mm-hmm. He he just has such a, a huge range for an actor. Yeah. And he gets so into the characters. Uh, and for... Um, for uh, to play um, Wilson Fisk, you know, he went and gained all the, he, he planned out and gained the weight so he could look the part. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just personifies the character so well mm-hmm. to me. And the the level of intensity, intensity that he puts in the presentation. Yeah, uh, that that he does as good a job with Fisk. <laughs> in my mind, as Charlie Cox does with Daredevil, yeah. and that's saying something. Well, you know, the the interesting thing about that is is that when Charlie Cox has been asked what his favorite scene is in in Daredevil, his response was the scene in season two where Matt, Matt, Matt Murdock goes and visits Fisk in prison, and oh, yeah. they have that, that one-on-one scene where they're, they almost get into a little bit, bit of a fight there. And I think that's where, to be honest, I think that's where Wilson Fisk figures out that Matt Murdock and Daredevil are the same person because uh, Matt hits him, punches him. And I think the punch was enough of a, the same as the way Daredevil punches that it was like Mm -hmm. a a light bulb going on. But 
Charlie, Car- Charlie Cox says that was the first time that he ever got to work one on one with Vincent. And he just lo- he says it just playing off that that over doing the multiple takes with him was just absolutely wonderful. He says it just ma- it was so fun working opposite him <laughs> and because usually they're separate, you know, they're they're se- playing separate scenes and they'd hardly ever get together unless they're fighting. And usually that's, you know, the fight double that's actually doing the fighting. Yeah. So. It, you know, if I were to put to put together a list of like the, the 10 actors that I'd like to sit down and have a, a, like a, a turkey club with or something. <laughs> Uh, I think he would probably be pretty near the uh, the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is watching some of the interviews that they've done uh, since, you know, the release of season three. Uh, he's a completely different person. Uh, and it's so funny, you know, to you know have everybody sitting down having conversations with him. And he's like a completely different person than you built him up as is mm-hmm. Wilson Fisk. But I, I haven't spent That's- a lot of time you know, following him as an actor, it sounds like you have. Well, you've, uh, you've seen Men in Black, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh, he's the roach. Okay. <laughs> you know, the, the, the guy in the, um, this, it's not, it's, his name isn't Vincent in that, but, you know, the farmer in the skin suit. Uh-huh. That's cool. And so that, that's his range. Yeah. Yeah. From, he... from roach to, well, <laughs> Criminal, uh, under, criminal underworld criminal yeah or, or criminal overlord uh, yeah <laughs> crime boss crime boss yeah um well the before we get too far in the pros and cons the one of the big pros for me was the music um which mm. is the same composer as did the other two seasons it's john pisano i think i'm pronouncing his name right um uh, absolutely amazing soundtrack if you ever get the chance to just maybe go plug in to YouTube or look on it, look it up in iTunes or something and listen to the whole soundtrack as a P, you know, as a album, instead of just trying to hear it through um, the various uh, parts of the move of the show. Uh, it, he actually is an amazing composer. I love his use, especially in, in season three of industrial rhythm and in, in an orchestral context, it just, it, it just really drives the the atmosphere of the of the whole series. Uh, he uses it to introduce certain themes, and it's just amazing. I mean, I just I loved it. So I'm gonna play uh, one of the pieces here uh, that has a, a good use of the industrial rhythm, just so that you can listen to it. Cool. actually a wide range of music types that that one was i i think something that really demonstrated the industrial rhythm uh there's also some softer more orchestra place pieces with good use of strings um i've also noticed that he tends to use um he his soundtracks are very heavily synthesized but they don't come across as 
you know, synthetic. And yeah. uh, there's some like during the funeral, uh, there's like some, oh, you know, voices doing all angelic the, voices yeah, type things. But it's definitely synthetic voices. He didn't use real voices. You can tell. But yeah, it's, this this music, it, you know how we've we've talked before about mm-hmm. how music you barely notice is if it doesn't detract, it's it's doing its job. Mm-hmm. But this one really does. um really does provide a foundation for what you're what you're viewing yeah like all of all of dex's scenes have this really eerie buzzy sound part of the soundtrack and the bees the bees yeah and the and and very very eerie music that plays when he's ever on screen and so it's uh, he definitely created a soundtrack that fleshed out the characters and and gave atmosphere to what's going on and i just you know hats off john that was uh, I'm on first name basis with him because I can't say his last name. <laughs> um, really terrific soundtrack. Uh, I went ahead and bought it. It's it's um, one I'm going to listen to again. Um, that's that's pretty high praise. Yeah, spending yeah. money on it. <laughs> yeah. Now the last pro for me, and you said you didn't know about it, but I, being a massive Daredevil fan, I follow him <laughs> on Twitter. Um, he actually has his own Twitter feed. And, you know, going up after Defenders, they kind of had put a little teaser in there. He was actually pretty quiet up until, um, you know, maybe a month or two before. But occasionally he would like post something, um, letting him letting everybody know he wasn't dead. Because after all, at the end of Defenders, we Mm -hmm. knew he wasn't dead, but everybody else thought he was. And uh, about a month ago, I think it was about a month ago. He started posting uh, just little pictures or just single Twitter feeds uh, that had just a Bible reference in them. And so we, um, I started, you know, looking them up, which is what you do when you see a Bible reference. And mm. what I thought was so cool about this is that it's forcing all of these people who are waiting on the Daredevil season three to launch to look up scripture in their Bibles. Yeah. It's use it's using their their fandom of the show, mm-hmm. which is really appropriate because the Daredevil character is Catholic, very conscientious of mm-hmm. his Catholic faith. Yes, and uh, they, uh, my understanding from our original discussions is that that is true to the uh, the the source material too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, it, I love that they kept it in there. Mm-hmm. And it even showed up a, a bit in Defenders. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I really like how, um, how true they're keeping his faith as such a significant part of uh, not just the character in the show, but mm-hmm. uh, in the marketing. Right. And it's very interesting because in a, a and I think I'll just, I'll try and find the video and post it in our show notes. But there was a a quick interview question that was asked to Charlie Cox as to what what was um, the hardest part about playing, or h- how hard it was for him to play all of the guilt and the you know the the heavy Catholicism of the matt murdoch role and he says actually that was the easiest for him because he was raised catholic and so he already understood the whole catholic guilt kind of thing (laughs) and so he says everything else was hard he's like playing blind playing a lawyer he didn't know anything about lawyer he didn't you know and he didn't even really know anything about daredevil prior to taking the role 
And he had, he didn't even know Daredevil was blind when he initially took the role. Hmm. Um, but all of these other things he didn't know anything about, but he knew Catholicism because he was raised <laughs> Catholic. And it's interesting because when, during the earlier interviews with him, he made the comment that he was raised Catholic. And then most recently in one of the er interviews, he made the comment that he was Catholic. And uh -oh. there's a big difference between being raised Catholic and being Catholic. And so I'm wondering if the show has helped him maybe recapture some of his faith from his childhood. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. That should be something to watch. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens because I don't know how many people know, but Netflix has officially canceled Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Yeah. So I don't know what that means for Defenders or for Daredevil in the future. Uh, I'm hoping scary. it means that they're going to bring um, Cage and uh, Rand back for Heroes for Hire. Yeah, well, I don't know. With Disney withdrawing from Netflix, it's kind of kind uh, that, of scary what might a, happen. Yeah, that's put a big question mark over the entire MCU, really. Yeah. So, and and t tying it into the MCU, uh, there was no snap in Daredevil. And that kind of confirms my theory that Daredevil is working on an earlier timeline than the yep. than the movies are. And yeah, I've seen a couple, uh, you know, fan theory write ups on that too. Yeah, I I think, and I I, I find it interesting because you know me, I'm fangirl watching Charlie Cox's interviews. He made some comment in one of his interviews about that Matt Murdock has had a really hard time over the last four years, and it made me wonder. I, Charlie Cox doesn't really have any clue, you know, how his show ties into everything. He's kept in the dark yeah. as much as anybody. But if he's thinking as a four, on a four-year timeline, that would put season three much earlier than the most recent movies of MCU. Because when the season one starts, it's not too long after the incident, which is the first Avengers. Mm-hmm. Because they're still recovering, they're still rebuilding from the incident in the Avengers. So it might even be four years before the Spider-Man Homecoming movie. Oh, wow. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. But you don't know. I mean, it, it obviously, they there's kind of been, I think, a bit of a split in which because Disney and the MCU are going one direction, I think yeah. the Netflix shows have kind of just backed off and not tried to to stay in the same timeline. How if there isn't anything con? I don't have any cons. Do you have any cons? No, it, honestly, my only con was uh, binging the entire thing in three days. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to be sorry about. It was uh, not something I normally do, and I remember why. <laughs> um, but uh, frankly, there was nothing. Everything that I didn't like were. Uh, that I didn't like them because I was I got too invested in the characters that they hurt. Oh, you know I I, yeah. I, I didn't like them for good reasons. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's, uh, when they killed off, um, uh, when uh, Ray died. Yeah, yeah. Ray uh, I, because yeah. I mean, we've met his wife, we've met his kid, we yeah, we have some sense of everything they've gone through, and you know, we we know about his courtship of his wife. Yeah. 
Well, you know, uh, and, Daredevil has this thing about doing that because they killed off they killed off Ben Urich in the first season. Oh yeah, that's uh, Karen Page's uh, mm-hmm. mentor. And and that's the uh, that was a complete shock because in the comic books, Ben Urich is always the survivor. And I mean, Karen Page gets killed, and all of these other characters get killed, but Ben Urich is always the survivor because he's kind of like the voice of the comic. It's like half Page, the time he's the one that's narrating it. Page bites it in the uh, comic books. Oh, in multiple series, yeah. And it's, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and it's always it's always Bullseye that kills her. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it always a a um, a trigger event for Murdoch? Uh, in a way, yeah. Um, she's she's always been. Um, you know, because he's always just that last minute too late to save her. And that was yeah. what I was really thinking when, when he had to make the decision between staying to get Fisk or going to the church to so- save Karen. And mm-hmm. then they ended up with that whole showdown in the church. I thought, sure, they were going to kill Karen there because that was that it almost always happens at the church. And it's always because Daredevil is too late to, to save her. Yeah. And but, uh, it was uh, Father father lantham instead lantham yeah yeah Yeah. Um, and you know i didn't see that coming until probably two seconds before uh as they were setting up the scene i figured it out mm -hmm. Uh, but it it wasn't more than a couple seconds before it actually happened so they did a really good job with that in my mind yeah yeah and i i just was expecting it at every turn i'm like but it was interesting because I watched one of the appearances of uh, the cast at, uh, I don't remember what convention it was, but it was just mm. right right before the release. It was like the weekend before the release. And when they were talking to each of the characters, which obviously some of the characters you didn't know yet because you hadn't watched it, but when they came, they made some comment about Karen that she that she was going, you know, to, would would be back. And I was like, well, that means they didn't kill Karen. So it was kind of like a relief <laughs> on my mind going into it, knowing that unless they were trying to throw me off, that she survived the season. But that's one of the things that anybody, any fan of the comic book is always on their edge of the seat going, is this where they kill Karen? Is this where they kill Karen? <laughs> um, but she does actually survive in the Born Again series. So it, since okay. they were using the Born Again as a source material, um, I think that that was uh, useful <laughs> knowing that she doesn't get killed in that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if people haven't read the Frank Miller Born Again, I highly encourage uh, you to go check it out, probably find it in your library or something. The story is not the same at all. Uh, it's similar but the it's out of order so that you're not expecting anything. Um, mm. But there are some really iconic scenes from the Born Again that were recreated in the series, which I was real excited about. That's cool. And then one of uh, them. Hmm? Uh, I was going to say, I've got one other pro that uh, that I liked. And mm-hmm. uh, it was um, the story arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Daredevil seems to do this better than any of the other MCU programs in my mind. And, and that's... Um, thematically bookending mm. uh tying together the opening scenes and the ending scenes and um you know it it, it almost finishes up with a, a sort of a subtle and the moral of the story is <laughs> without it being in your face exactly uh, yeah. they do the the writers do such a good job with that and and uh 
I, I particularly appreciated it uh, with this one because of uh, some of the themes that they were going with. And we'll talk about those. Yeah. In a, yeah. In a, because you know. a lot of them center around Matt and what Matt's going through in, in uh, season three. And I, I appreciate the fact that his character develops because it's so easy when he, you're, when it's the title character that it's easy to just let them ride. Mm -hmm. And even though it's their story, you would expect some growth in this one. You know, we've already had two seasons of just Daredevil. Plus, he was actually a pretty dominant character in The Defenders. And and it's his story that seems to drive everything. Yeah. And so it makes sense to, you know, have his character go somewhere through the season. And in the past... He, his character was going somewhere in the previous two seasons, but I don't think that was as dramatic as as where he where he starts and where he arrives, or when he where he finishes in in season three. I think there's a massive change in Matt, and yeah. it, and I think that 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 plus what happens to Dex and what happens to uh, Ray is is just amazing. I mean, just the, the whole story arc, like you said, is, is yeah. just, it, it's, it's really quite good. It's so much more solid than, mm -hmm. than the admittedly solid, uh, other MCU ones. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Luke Cage and, and, uh, Danny Rand, they both had character development, but nothing even in the same ballpark as, as we're seeing with Matthew Murdoch. Mm -hmm. And granted the, the entire storyline here is, um, you know, taking him from a, a spiritually and, and physically crushed man mm -hmm. and bringing him back to um, the moral center that got him started as a, as the devil of Hell's Kitchen. Right. So yeah. uh, it's, they, that, that really was, uh, for me, you know, when you watch the last episode of the season and you're sort of thinking about the entire season – the last episode for me was just bookended it so nicely. Uh, it's just really brought out the, the writing. Yeah. And just to go into our first, because we're over 30 minutes in and we're just now starting to talk <laughs> about our themes. I think this is going to be a long episode. Um, we had a, a two separate pictures of what abandonment does to people. Mm. And, and it, Matt himself, when talking to Sister Maggie, I can't remember which episode it was in, he actually draws the conclusion. It's when he's talking about what he discovered about Dex and Point, uh, Agent Poindexter, um, having been abandoned and and being a psychopath from a very young age. And when he's talking to when Matt's talking to Sister Maggie, he brings up the fact that you know that he that. Dex has lost his parents and he had anger issues and he felt all alone in the world. And then he makes the comment and says, I know you're going to say it sounds familiar because it's Matt. It's basically mm -hmm. descri describing Matt's background as well. And so they, they both have been, you know, suffering abandonment in different ways. And what I found so interesting was that Dex's therapist told him to pick somebody good and use her as his North star or his mm -hmm. moral compass. And Matt uses Catholicism as his moral compass. And so they both are trying to use and forgive me Catholics for saying this, but a man-made moral system. Mm. And because you have to wonder when you use a man-made moral system, whether you're actually 
you know, fixing that proper faith in your heart that gives you that correct, you know, North star to point at. And with Dex, it was, he, he was definitely in a bad position because he was using a, a person he didn't even really know as his yeah. North star, somebody he didn't even really interact with. A person whose job it was, was not to become attached. Right. She didn't do a great job at it, but. Well, you're talking about his therapist, but. Yeah. Um, his, uh, his, who he picks after his therapist. Oh, Julie. Julie. Yeah. He doesn't, uh, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even interact with her. Yeah. That came out so well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, to me, it's interesting that these two characters are, are really played off of each other in, in their similarities and their differences. Uh, because it shows Matt's growth. Of course, the thing you keep hearing Dex say over and over again is that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. And it, 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 it's the thing. It, it's the thing that his therapist taught him to say that helps him pretend to empathize. Yeah. And he does it. The it, he, the the actor delivers it with the exact same. Um, uh, what, it, how do you say it? And, inflection uh, of voice. Yeah. 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 Every time. And uh -huh. it gets creepy. <laughs> really creepy. I, I'm just curious. When you first saw him talking to the, the FBI psychologist or whatever, doctor or whatever it was about the shooting. Uh, mm. And he mentioned the fact that he had a girl that he talked to. I immediately keyed on that. He, it's not a girl he actually interacts with. And so the scene where he watches her go in and eat the pizza and he sits in the car and eats the pizza, you know, mm -hmm. quote unquote with her, um, that wasn't a surprise to me because I had already just in the way he delivered those that, lines, exactly. I already knew he was not really interacting with anybody. The only thing that made it hinky was how the actor delivered the line, yeah. but it was definitely hinky. <laughs> yeah. So... You know, Dex is an interesting character in that his he's obviously got no empathy, <laughs> but Matt has too much. And I think that that's what drives him. Um, he cares about other people so much that he puts them above his well. And it's like um, Claire uh, tells tells him in I think it's season two um, where she calls him St. Matthew that he's. Yeah. Uh, and and he's like, oh, I'm no saint, you know. But she sees him as a martyr because he's constantly willing to put himself aside in order to help other people. And that's that's very Catholic of him. But in this movie, we actually see him do something that Catholics would never do. And that's try to commit suicide, try to get somebody to kill him. Yeah. And and I can understand what brought him to well, that level. And then it becomes this matter of guilt for him through the whole thing, you know, like God's punishing him because he tried to die. I, I, I think it's, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's right to say that Catholics would never do Catholicism does list it as a mortal sin, mm -hmm. which of course means that it is a sin that is capable of causing you to lose your salvation in right. Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I, you know, as a proponent of, of uh, depression sufferers, I want to say Catholics are just as susceptible yeah. to, to and it. And he does and... say, as he's sitting there waiting for this guy to kill him, he's like, God, forgive me. So mm -hmm. even in that position, he was 
I'm doing something I shouldn't do. Yeah. And he, he, he certainly had cause to drive him to that level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he'd lost, and I don't know how many people caught this, but when he, when, when he tries to get out of bed and he falls on the ground and sister Maggie, you know, has him in her lap basically. and, And he starts saying what he said when a child, I can't see, I can't see. Um, that's actually reprising something from the comic book, that scene. Oh, okay. um, not not what he says, but the position of him, her, you know, picking him up after he falls down. Mm. He can't see because he can't hear. So right. it's like, it's all over again. He was again. deaf in one ear. Yeah, all over again, he was losing his ability to see, all over again. So he really couldn't see because he was deaf. And... So yeah, it, it to have to reface the world after you had adapted so well to a disability that frankly most of us would have a hard time dealing with and then to have to you know do it all over again because you can't hear so you can't see. Yeah. Um so yeah, he was really at rock bottom at that point so it was fairly understandable. You know the abandonment um uh, backstory is such a common one in comic books and and mm-hmm. uh, movies in general. Um, I'm always struck when when we encounter it from major media mm-hmm. uh, how it's used as such a acceptable device mm-hmm. for messing with the development of children. Right. Yet for some reason. Our society moves more and more to non-traditional family situations as being perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Uh, It's here's all these terrible things you have when you lose your mother and your father. But. (laughs) Yeah. uh, A single mother or two dads or two moms. That's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Where they they don't understand that the children do need that stability in their in their home life or it causes serious psychological problems later on in their life well going down from the abandonment one of the things that also happened in the first episode uh was this discussion between matt and maggie which i think caught your eye too caught your ear sure did yeah um there was this whole account where Maggie and Matt were talking about his problem with the man upstairs, basically. Um, <laughs> and he, and I'm going to, I'm not going to say God, that's a dirty word. In, yeah. In, in Hollywood. <laughs> well, they, they say God a lot, actually, in yeah, the show. I know. <laughs> um, but he, he refers to the story of Job and he does this, I thought quite well, because he's obviously has studied the scripture because he didn't look it up or anything. He just said, there was a man from the land of us. And, Maggie goes, yeah, that's the book of Job. And then he goes into his take on the story. So this is this is his take on the story. There is a man from the land of Uz. Book of Job. Book of Job. Story of God's perfect servant, Job. He prayed every day at dawn with his knees on the ground, his face in the dirt. Slaughtered ten goats, one for each of his children, and burned them at the altar in God's honor. Of all God's soldiers, Job, he was the most loyal. I know the story, Matthew. Oh, then you know what happens next. God murdered all ten of his children in cold blood. Scorched every inch of Job's land, lashed at his body till his skin was covered in bloody welts. God ranged in misery on the life of his most perfect servant, and still, Job would not curse him. You know what I realized? Job was a pussy. 
You see, that was me, sister. I suffered willingly. I gave my, uh, sweat and blood and skin without complaint because I, I too, believed I was God's soldier. <laughs> well, not anymore. I am what I do in the dark now. I bleed only for myself. So this is a very bitter and angry Matt. Yeah. Um, and it was it was sort of like the mission statement of of the the way his character starts. Yeah. The, this this season. Yeah, and but it's interesting that and and I think he rephrased that uh, reprised that later on where he basically tells her I am not Job. And what I found fascinating about that interesting story is is that that right there that context of the account of Job from scripture is re- one of the reasons a lot of non-believers give for not believing in God because yeah. they they don't believe that a loving God would put his his faithful servants through that kind of horror and he can't be a loving God if he does it but it's interesting that in saying that he is not Job very few of us are i think most most of us, when faced with bitter and hard times, we question God over it. It's not something that we can go through and, and be completely faithful to God and not question him. I and mean, very few of us are Job. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, we're very, very tempted to curse God over the, the bad circumstances in our lives. And I think that that's where our faith is severely tested because we can't we can't really understand God. We can't really rest on God until we have trusted him through the bad as well as the good. The The primary reason that this one caught my ear uh, was because maybe maybe he was just abbreviating the, the telling for, you know, for brevity's sake. But he said, God killed all 10 of his uh, children. God uh, raised his fields and and all that. And that takes out the entire um, conversation between God and Satan and the, and the fact that it was God allowing Satan to do this stuff. I, I, I would differ with you on that though. Uh, if you actually look at the account of Job in, in the Bible and you read it, there is a conversation with Satan. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but when you get to, um, the second, I think it's the second chapter of it. It says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from his evil? He still still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Hmm. So this is one of those situations where I think it's easy for us to say, well, Satan does all the bad things. It's not that God sits back and lets Satan destroy us. God is actively participant because he is all powerful. He is in control of everything. So it's not just him sitting back and letting things happen. He actually incited the violence against Job. And and that is where I think a lot of people have problems with the account of Job because it actually implies that God did it. It wasn't it, Satan incited him to do it, but he did it. So I, I'm not trying to do a gotcha on that. I'm just saying that that is where a lot of people have problems with the scripture. 
with with the account of Job because it does sound like when you read it that God was instrumental. Satan it was it was basically a tool in the hand of God at this point. Yeah, it's I guess I guess that still doesn't uh change my point which is that the story of Job is a lesson. Yeah. And by removing the uh the discussion about the discussions between uh God and Satan and how uh God is demonstrating true faith. Right. Um and essentially Romans eight twenty eight uh that uh it distorts this it distorts the story. Right. Well, yeah, his his take on it definitely is a distortion. I'm not saying it isn't. And I think that what he leaves out is the conclusion of Job because he he talks about what Job went through at the beginning, but he leaves out all of the the stuff that is discussed in Job because Job is a, is a a moral story in which his you know his his wife tells him to curse God, his friends come and give him bad advice and multiple times multiple times and which is something I just recently cautioned my the girls in my Sunday school class about is like don't take scripture out of context because if you go and read you know chapters out of Job that are from the points of view of his friends giving him advice and you go oh well yeah. that sounds like good good advice it's bad advice that's a, and that's exactly the point in Job is it it yeah. sounds like good advice <laughs> but then you get to, in the end, Job does question God and God comes himself and says, were you there when I did all, you know, when I found it, when mm -hmm. I created the world, were you there when I did all these things? What puts you in the place of God? How can you possibly understand what I'm doing or what my greater plan is? Because you're finite and you live in in time and I'm outside of time and I, I have a much bigger plan that you're a part of and you can't see it. So just take comfort in knowing that I'm in control and I'm God and there's a reason for it. And that is, I think, one of the the main themes that kind of weaves its way through Daredevil season three, because Matt has taken it upon himself to be God in a way. He thinks of himself as being a soldier for God, but we have to be careful when we take that position because He's, he thinks he's doing God's will, but he's actually putting himself in place of God. And, yeah. and, and that is dangerous. It's like when, well, I'm going to fix that because I think that's what God wants me to do. Did God yeah. really tell you to do that? You know, that that's interesting because that ties into uh, something that uh, one of my brothers from church yesterday uh, sent me. And I, I actually put up in Facebook today mm -hmm. um, the story of... Um, uh, Joshua is, uh, standing before Jericho and it's the first time he's really led anyone in battle. Mm -hmm. And he looks up and there's a, there's a man there standing with a sword and Joshua walks up to him and, and says, are you for us or are you for our enemy? Mm -hmm. And the man says, neither. I'm here to command the army of God. <laughs> and, uh, Joshua immediately, you know, drops to his knees, prostrates himself in front of the man and says, command me. Right. So whose side is God on? His He's on, on God's side. side. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, it's, the article was tied into you know Republicans and Democrats. It's, right. Uh, when you ask a Christian, are you on the Republican side or are you on the Democrat side? And uh, our answer should be we're on God's we're side. We're on God's side, and, <laughs> yeah. and we hope the party we support tries to be on God's side too. Our best represents God's will in such yeah. matters. Yeah, it's it's difficult, especially when you're discussing politics because everybody believes they're right. And that's what that, that's sort of what Daredevil Matthew was doing. He was he he thought he was implementing God's will when he was really taking it upon himself to do what exactly. he thought God wanted. And yeah. that was like my next thing in my notes that I wanted to discuss was when young Matt is talking to Father, getting advice from Father Lantum. And uh, he says he's struggling to try to find what God's will is. And, you know, he's expecting this, you know, burning bush moment where God comes and tells him what to do. And Father Lantum, you know, tells him that, that God speaks in whispers. And, of course, being Matt, he takes this literally. Mm-hmm. And he goes and he hears all of the people praying in the church. And because his hearing is so good, he can actually hear, you know, their soft whispered prayers to God, you yeah. know. And so he takes that as being, you know, God speaks in whispers. All these people are whispering their prayers to God. That must mean that God wants me to help answer these prayers. Yeah. That that was a well done bit. See, in yeah. And so I really feel like that his story arc in this season was him realizing, number one, he was never doing what God necessarily told him to do. He was taking it upon himself to be God's avenging soldier or angel or whatever, but, or devil as the case may be, (laughs) but he wasn't really listening to God. He was just listening to his interpretation of God. And I think that's a good reminder to all of us as Christians to be very careful that we're not listening to our own interpretation of God, but that we're actually listening to God. And I I had this discussion with uh, some of my girls in Sunday school class. I think it was just this last week or maybe the week before uh, one of the girls had asked, how do you know when God's speaking to you? Mm -hmm. And uh, my answer, and that's a really difficult question to answer, especially for a teenager in in this day and age. But one of the things I told her was that you don't look for random signs. You look for something that is in scripture and that is repeated over and over again in a scriptural setting. So it's not like, in her case, it was she heard a song sung in church that was a favorite song of a friend of hers, and she took that to mean that God wanted her to keep this bad friend in her life. Mm. And I was like, that's not necessarily scriptural. When I'm when I'm talking about scripture, it's like if you are listening to a sermon and he mentions a scripture that is something that you've been struggling with spiritually. And and then uh, you like, okay. And then you hear that scripture again in another context and it speak and you know, and then you read it in your devotions and then it comes across again. And it's this making this point over and over again to you. And it's all scriptural and it's all something that God knows you're struggling with so that you come to a conclusion. Oh, this is what God wants me to garner from it. And that was the point I made. It has to be scriptural. It has to come from scripture because that's how yeah. God speaks to us. And if you're pulling things randomly out of the air, you know, signs and, and, and stuff, then you're not hearing the voice of God. You're hearing what you want God to be telling you. Yeah, I, I would modify that just a hair to say that it has to survive a, the test of scripture. Right. It's, you know, if 
if you hear if you go to church and and you hear a song and and you feel like it's uh telling you to do one thing that one thing still has to be consistent with everything that scripture says exactly and that's what i meant by it has to yeah, be scriptural. exactly yeah, uh, yeah. there are denominations out there I, I remember i worked in a hardware store back before mm-hmm. i joined the army in in 1989 and uh, there was a, a young lady there who was uh, very open about her her faith and her church, and it was it was really refreshing. But she came from a, a an extremely uh, charismatic Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. um, and they would do the kind of thing of what does God want me to do today? So they would hold their Bible up, spine down. <laughs> And they would drop it on the table. Yeah. And whatever page it fell open to would be the answer to their question. Yeah. That's kind of the point I was making of yeah. you have to be careful about the context of the verses that you read because, you know, if you you let things speak to you just at random, then you're not typically what I do. And this is just something that I have developed through the years is when I read through the Bible, you know, every year, or I try to this last year, I haven't done so well. I try to read through it over the entire year with certain questions in mind. Oh, that's an interesting way to do it. I like. I, that. I come up with like two or three spiritual questions that I really need God to speak to me on. And, and I keep those in the forefront of my mind as I'm reading through the Bible through the whole year. And, and I do highlight, you, do you journal it? Well, I don't journal it, but if something really does speak to me, I'll highlight it um, yep. so that I can find it again. I'm not very good at keeping journals, which I'd like to write. You would think I would be better at it. But <laughs> but anyway, we have to allow scripture to answer our questions is what I'm trying to say. We don't, you yeah. don't just randomly go, you know, let me close my eyes and point my, you know, put my finger down and that verse is, you know, what I'm going to do. God doesn't speak to you that way. God speaks to you through the, his entire scripture. And if you're not, you know, questioning yourself as you're reading through, you know, multiple pieces of scripture through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, mm-hmm. through the prophets, through the histories, it doesn't matter. You you have to keep all of it in mind because God's, it's his entire word is, is where we get our, our, and God does speak to you through it. I mean, that's how I came to be a leader in the youth department. My church was because God spoke to me quite plainly through sermons and scripture that I needed to quit sitting on my hands and and expecting other people to be impacting the lives of the youth in my church. That if it was such a concern of mine, I needed to step up and volunteer. And it was not something I wanted to do. And it was something I struggled with for months before I finally stepped up and said, hey, I'm volunteering. What do you need me to do? Because God was was hitting me over the head with a scriptural <laughs> hammer on that one. It's like, it's, quit. It's, sometimes it takes that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It, it, and, you know, especially for an introvert like me, it's teaching is the hardest thing I've ever done. And teaching an age group that when I was that age, I was painfully shy and painfully introverted. And to try and interact with girls of that age group that I actually avoided when I was that age because they scared <laughs> me, you know, it's it's just something that it's a growing experience. And that's God forces you to do things that are outside your comfort zone. And so that is um, something that God has been working through me on for a couple yeah. of years now. But I think that that is, you know, kind of the point. And that's why I just 
so it was so enthusiastic about some of the scriptural content or the, more of the spiritual content of season three, because there's so much there. And I don't even know that we can cover it all in this episode. Yeah. Um, we may have to like revisit when we short on material, come back and revisit the season. Cause there's so much stuff there we could talk about. It, you know, uh, you mentioned before that, that wrap up the, the Job metaphor. Mm hmm by talking about how how it ends and and god coming to job and saying look here bud i'm in control here yeah (laughs) quit questioning me but they they did um they did finish with what i thought was a very poignant recollection by matt to uh sister Mm -hmm. maggie it was it was so much so that i actually uh kept pausing and rewinding so i could write the whole thing down (laughs) he told me something years ago when when this happened that I never forgot. See, I was pretty angry at God and bitter towards his world. And how could a loving God blind me? Why? Anyway, he told me God's plan is like a beautiful tapestry. And the tragedy of being human is that we only get to see it from the back all the ragged threads and the muddy colors. And we only get a hint at the true beauty that would be revealed if we could see the whole pattern on the other side, as God does. Anyway, I've been thinking a lot about it recently because I realize I've, I've made some bad choices and hurt people that I love without meaning to. You don't always know when you start down a false path. No, you don't. And and that's my point. I realize that if my life had turned out any differently, that I would never have become Daredevil. And although people have died on my watch, people who shouldn't have, there are countless others that have lived. So maybe it is all part of God's plan. Maybe my life has been exactly as it had to be. And it's not perfect theologically, but, Mm-mm. you know, I wouldn't expect perfect theologically <laughs> coming out of Hollywood. No. But it really does highlight the fact that we can't see God's plan. It's yeah, perfect. It's, yeah. We don't have his perspective. We as Christians know that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to the, uh, to his purpose. His purpose, yeah. But... One of the hardest lessons we learn is that we may never know uh, in, in this life mm-hmm. the good that we suffer for. Right. And yeah. uh, that is that's such a hard lesson. And, and I thought it was summed up pretty well with mm-hmm. uh, with this little uh, monologue at the end. Yeah. And or soliloquy or whatever. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the wonderful thing about Matt's growth in this is that. He goes from somebody who's extremely bitter with God and pushing away everybody in his life. I mean, just, I mean, when Sister Maggie asked him if there's anybody she can call, he's like, no, no one. And he has these two amazing friends, exactly, you know, who are mourning his loss. I mean, just, I mean, you look at one Karen. of them is convinced he's going to walk through the door. Yeah. She goes and knocks on his door. And every denial. Day. Yeah. Complete denial. And I, in some ways I can understand it because we saw that stress on that friendship in Defenders where, 
they were putting so much pressure on him to be the blind lawyer. And I think that they were forcing him to live a lie that he was not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so he really felt like they didn't want him anymore. And so I can see where the bitterness was coming from and why he was spurning them. That in addition to that, he feels like he puts them in danger by always being around them all the time. But I really feel like he grew so much through this to realize that he needed the friends. He needed that grounding, that human connection in order to stay sane because he really does go a little crazy in season three. I mean, he's having these (laughs) dialogues with Wilson Fisk and his father and, (laughs) you know, uh, he, he really is going a little crazy. And so he needs that grounding. He needs that human element to pull himself out of himself. And I, I almost feel like, um, in season particularly in season one and most of season two, uh, he was really struggling with the, the dual identity of Matt, Matthew Murdoch lawyer and, mm-hmm. uh, daredevil vigilante. Right. And I, I, I feel like season three healed that division and he came to understand that he's just one person. Right. Uh, with, with two jobs essentially. Right. Well, he explained it in season one is that there was a devil inside of him. Mm-hmm. And and in fact, Fisk, his alter ego Fisk, the one that was in his head talking to him, not the real one, yeah. uh, kept telling him to let the devil out in season three. And so it's something that he was still struggling with is that he felt like the devil was like the bad side of him that mm-hmm. he was trying to use for good. Seems and, like a very Catholic thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like you treat the sin as not part of you. And this whole entire season dealt with so many deep spiritual issues. And we there we could go on. There was a minor theme in there about truth versus lies that keep people safe. Um, <laughs> that was very strongly woven through several episodes and several characters even challenging each other over lies that were told. There were, you know, the theme of friendship. Like I just brought up, you know, what Foggy yeah. and Karen had gone through. Foggy is like the most loyal friend. We would oh, all just no kidding. die to I have a friend like him. I would kill to have a friend like him. <laughs> that man um, sticks with Matthew Murdoch through everything. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we saw him spurn him a couple times in the first two seasons, but the way he comes back as such a strong, loyal friend who's willing to put up with a lot of crap. I yeah. mean... Matt literally steals his identity. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, we could talk for another hour on this, <laughs> but I think we should there, wrap there it up. There really is a lot of content. In this. There's, it, th- yeah. I, I yeah. want to stress again that this, this season, I think. I honestly think season three was the best season. Oh yeah, of I don't the, know. I don't know if you Marvel. just watched one season, if season three would be as good because it it really does build on things that have happened previous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But having watched one, two, and three, and uh, Defenders, Defenders in there as well, mm-hmm. uh, it really just ties everything up into a nice present and makes it all. Maybe not pretty at the end, mm-hmm. but nice and neat and yeah. sets sets a beautiful stage for the next stage of Daredevil's existence as a hero. 
Right. Yeah. I think it, I, I love the fact that it had, after all of that dark, heavy, I think you even said at one point it was, it, it just felt like it was so helpless in your yeah. notes. You says like, they've built this up to be so helpless. Like everything's going Absolutely wrong. Nothing he can do to change anything. And it's just amazing how they gave it a nice, calm, emotionally satisfying ending that just tied everything up. And then they hint at, you know, the return of Bullseye. But <laughs> in a think, very Marvel-esque way. <laughs> in a very Marvel-esque way. So I'm really hoping that this is not the end, that we see more from Daredevil. But if it is the end, if this is the last chapter of the Netflix Daredevil, I think they wrapped it up well. And I'm very happy with where they left Daredevil, where he's Matt, Matt is back with his friends, that he's back wrapped into that solid yeah relationship that is going to keep him sane and he's got his mother to turn to for advice everything is just where it needs to be and i'm mm. so glad they gave it that happy ending because so many the daredevil comics if you read at least two or three of the series to their end they always end in a bad place for matt matt never has a happy ending and so if this is where it ends i'm very happy that they gave him a happy ending I got to say, if it, if the series it does get canceled, and frankly, if this if it gets canceled, it won't be, be because of quality or viewership with, for Daredevil. It'll be because of, uh, you know, legal rights and politics uh, and, and politics yeah. with uh, Fox and, and Netflix and, uh, and, Disney. and Disney. Yeah. Uh, but if it does get canceled and the creative team goes on to ink a comic book. Mm hmm. I would subscribe to it. <laughs> well, a lot of the showrunners, I know the showrunners for the first two seasons were actual um, comic book writers. Oh, really? So, mm -hmm. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Yeah, they, they they actually their their participation in Daredevil prior to Netflix was extreme. So they knew cool. the character very well. I I know they changed the showrunners for the se third season, but I. Don't, and I don't know the background of the new showrunner, but uh, I do believe, based on the way they handled the characters in season three, I think they, they must have been just as invested as the first ones were. Yeah, I noticed that uh, all, the, all the Netflix MCU shows do this. They have a different director for every episode. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if the same director comes back for multiple episodes, but each episode in sequence is mm -hmm. a different director. And they, they've really done a good job with letting the director drive the characters and yeah. right, but still maintaining the, the overall arc. feel mm -hmm. and in yeah. Daredevil in particular, they, they did a great job. And the Karen backstory episode on this one was just a perfect example of that. Right. Uh, yeah. And you still didn't... freaked me out. <laughs> you still, you didn't know she had anything to do with jugs. Not a, not a clue. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I yeah. just pictured her as, you know, this farm grown Iowa girl. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty cool that they did show her going in after uh, that first witness and buying a, you know, buying drugs. And it, they kind of led you to think that maybe she was actually going to, to do them. And but you didn't realize she was in there looking for somebody. And yeah. I'm glad they did that because that really tied in the Karen from the comic books into uh, Netflix because she's so clean of a character uh, in 
in the Netflix version. And yeah. we know she had a bad past. They kept alluding to it. But the fact that she basically is, is a drug addict who sells out Daredevil in the in the Born Again series. Mm-hmm. That she, which I had no clue of either. Yeah, <laughs> that's how in the Born Again series. That's how Fisk finds out that Matt Murdock is Daredevil because she sells that secret for a fix. But and, they they used it in the series, making her think that she accidentally gave away his identity. Right, which I'm pretty sure Fisk already knew. He was yeah, just he. I'm, yeah, I agree 100. percent He knew. Because he had seen Matt Murdock fight in the prison, yep. and which just hats off to the producers. In all three seasons, they had a continuous take scene that they're famous for. And oh, yeah. In I read an article one, about this one. Yeah. In season one, it was the hallway scene. In season two, it was the stairwell scene. And in both of those scenes, it was Daredevil in costume. In, in the first season, he was in the black man in black costume. And in the second season, he was in the devil suit. In this season... They did it in Matt Murdock suit. Yep. <laughs> so they had no way to, they had to hide the face when it was the fight devil. Devil. They did it as a continuous take, but they and did it, it in such a way that they could, for the really tough ones, swap, swap Charlie out. Cox out with his stunt double. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell. <laughs> well, I could tell because I was looking for it because I knew. Oh, okay. I, knew... I wasn't looking for it. I read yeah. the article after. Well, th- here's the thing is, is that I had heard Charlie Cox talk about the other two scenes in interviews. And uh-huh. he had said he was, they always asked him, oh, did you get to do any of the fighting? He says, yeah, we would switch out. And uh, whenever Daredevil falls out of scene, you know, it's one of us switching. It's when we're switching places. And so I was looking for the falling out of scenes sequences in this one. And you, and I would notice that you would see Matt, you would see Matt's face and then he would fall out of scene. And then the next scene, you would never see his face. And then he would fall out of scene. (laughs) Yeah. And then he would fall out of scene again and then you would see his face again. So that, that was him, Charlie Cox and his uh, fight double switching places because his fight double can obviously do more because he's actually yeah. an experienced fighter. And I believe, I know that it was in the first two seasons, I'm thinking it probably was in the season two, the same stunt double as who played all of the fighting and stunt doubling for, uh, um, in Captain America. So war for Captain America. So oh, it's really? the same guy. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So he has a pretty high end stunt double, which is good because uh, Daredevil does a lot of fighting. And, there was another interview in which they asked Charlie Cox if he was learning how to fight. And he says, if you ever got me in a in a situation where I had to fight for my life, I would never connect with the person I was attacking. Because <laughs> we're taught to like just a half an inch short. <laughs> so it's all it's all camera angle. They're not actually hitting each other. So. But yeah, it's absolutely fabulous done scene. And I, I was enthused with the fact that this time it was matt murdoch fighting and it was all caught on camera and in the in so that fisk could watch it so he knew that matt was fighting very much like daredevil does <laughs> and i i love the fact that they make him get tired that it's like it's not like this whole you know you fight and then jump up and fight again yeah. and jump up and fight again i mean he he really got beat up in that fight to the point where he passes out in the cab and nearly dies which is another 
take from Born Again, because there's oh. a scene in Born Again where he is uh, knocked out, put in a cab, and the cab put in, uh, driven off into the river. And when they pull the cab up, there's no corpse, and they, it's reported to Fisk. There's a whole scene in the in the comic book where it says there's no corpse, and and Fisk is upset because there's no corpse. And they mm-hmm. replayed that in the in yep. season three. So yeah, there was several homages. So I think I've named at least two or three. Yeah. And then I read in an article that they've actually did ha- uh, homages to a couple other Daredevil um, and it, a, a well-read devil, Daredevil uh, comic book fan would have caught multiple allusions to um, yeah. several different Easter eggs. Books. Easter eggs, yeah. yeah. And then they also said, well, the I think it was the an interview with the director or I can't remember now who it said, that you should freeze frame it and watch some of the scenes there are Latin phrases on some of the buildings and gates that are important. Oh, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know um, how long it'll take me to freeze frame and find those. But Oh, you, you know, it just occurred to me. I did read uh, that uh, one of the scenes in the newspaper office, you can see a whole bunch of article clippings. That and was from season one. No, no, this, from this oh. season. Oh, from this season. Yeah, and uh, and through the article clippings, you can time it in the MCU. Huh. Okay. Well, I know that the incident was referred to in season one from uh, things that were uh, newspaper clippings on the wall in mm. season one. Uh, it's, um, uh, there, the reason I, I read it was because... Uh, they were making a reference to something that happens in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a show that I watch. Okay. Uh, so it was tying the two together there. Yeah. Well, I think we are completely out of time on this episode. We're going to go running a little over. over. Yeah, just a little over. We'll, we'd be happy to hear what other people have thought. I know that this yeah. is fairly early still. and uh, Not that the diehard fans like me have probably already binged it more than once, but those people who are <laughs> willing to wait a couple of weeks to see it. I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be on Netflix for a while. Yeah. It you is might, definitely need, worth it. Yeah. You'll probably need to, to set it aside, set this episode aside and listen to it when you have, have seen it. Um, but if you, at the time that you have watched it and have listened to our episode, we really strongly encourage you to go to our discussion page on Facebook and share your thoughts. Cause I'd love to hear what other, what other spiritual matters were discussed in season three, that other people uh, hit on and um, maybe won't, won't need to do another episode because we'll get a discussion going in the discussion group. That would be that wonderful. Would be nice. Yeah. I think that Tim and I are probably going to record on the Incredibles for November uh, the DVD oh, comes yeah, the out. The DVD just came out. We have lost some of our support on Patreon. So if anybody could find it in their hearts to give us a dollar or five dollars a month, um, that would really help us out a lot. We do have monthly commitments that we need to continue to pay for. And uh, we're actually kind of hurting a little bit at the moment. Uh, we're yeah, down it, to, it all goes to the show. There. It all goes to the show. Yeah. So right now, our, I wanted to thank Amanda John and Stephen Brown II. They're the only two that are currently giving. So yeah, we, if people are stopping because they don't like something we're doing, please give us yeah. feedback. Yeah. Um, we, this, we do this for you guys as much as we do it for anything. Yeah. Shy of giving glory to God. Right. <laughs> And yeah. uh, we really want it to be uh, impactful if it's important, if it's impactful for you as a listener. 
Mm-hmm. then it has a chance to be impactful for others who you recommend us to. So if there's something we can do differently. Yeah. And please share. D- don't just keep it to yourself. Share it with other people because that's how th- this is the kind of podcast that spreads by word of mouth. There, no amount of advertising is ever going to increase our listenership. If you guys don't like us enough to share us with your friends and family, um, I don't know that we'll ever expand our listener base. Yeah. So we really appreciate it when you share. And if you would go on iTunes, if you subscribe on iTunes, I know there are other places to subscribe now to podcasts, but wherever you subscribe, please rate and review us so that people know what you think. You can also comment on our sh- on the show notes. The show notes for this episode are going to be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 86. And uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 903-231-2221, email at f- feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And like I just mentioned, join our Facebook discussion group. Um, that's where we hang out, actually. <laughs> so if you want to chat with us one-on-one, that's the best place to find us. And I believe that will be it for this. If you guys want to give us any thoughts about The Incredibles, feel free to Two. to <laughs> pop in and say something about that. Uh, Incredibles 2. Well, Incredibles yeah. 1. But The Incredibles 2 is what we'll be uh, podcasting on, on in November. And yep. then I suspect we will probably be hitting uh, either the end of December or the beginning of January. There's a movie coming out that we're both very excited about. And uh, if we take December off, it'll be uh, January when we get that review out. So I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. Thank you so much for listening to us. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Subscribe to more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodlemix.net.